0: Another day in the COVID era, the air quality is crap here in Vegas, thanks to the, the burning of California and still things going on in the world that make me sad and there's things that happen in the world that make me so optimistic. I've had a couple people ask me to kind of reach out to some, some people that are that can shine a light of optimism into, into my podcast. so I thought that uh, one of the people I've always seen. To be very optimistic and very positive online is Robert Bloom. He is a production and lighting designer and photographer at, at RBB Designs out of uh, New York. So I thought today would be a great day to get a little ray of sunshine into, a, uh, into a, an otherwise bleak world some days. So I hope you guys will enjoy listening to our conversation. Thank you so much for sitting down with me for, for an hour, Robert. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. So a lot of people, they're like, hey, man, we've uh, we've talked to a lot of the rock and roll people. We've talked to some of the architectural people. Why don't we get somebody who's who's done a little bit of everything? And I looked at your website, and man, you have done a little bit of everything. That is impressive. You've done architecture. You've done comedy. You've done rock and roll. You've done a little bit of everything.
1: Uh, uh, thank you. Uh, yeah, I've been fortunate enough to... Uh, work in a few different niche markets.
0: Does that come up that uh, people just see your work in one venue and they're like, hey, can you also do architecture? Is that is that how it usually goes or are you usually seeking those out?
1: The leads come differently. I'd say, you know, uh, work begets work. So someone yeah. sees a concert performance uh, and they hire to do another concert performance. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's a bit uh, of, you know, moving forward from the last job. Uh, but in each sort of niche market, they they all kind of slowly march forward. You know, one, hopefully one leads to the next.
0: Was that by design? Did you decide that you wanted to be a little bit of everything or do you just?
1: Not necessarily. Just I mean, I, it, yeah, it was sort of, you know, uh, certainly as a, as a young designer, it's, you know, the phone rings, you pick it up. Oh, I'm available that day. Let's do it. And that sort of creates more leads and more contacts and, and who sees your work, who's in the room. You know, we talked a little before here in New York, I think success, however you sort of define that, is a mix of luck and skill. Right. I think in New York, there's a lot of luck and there's many, many, many designers fighting for the same jobs. So it's a matter of which producers, brands, bands see your work and given the opportunity to get in that when you get that break whatever that break may be to have the skills and the confidence to perform in that moment and so i think in my 20s it was like lighting weddings and bar mitzvahs it was tonight's the best light show we're going to do. Right. And like, and it may be four movers in a ballroom. It might be a much, much larger rig in a tent, you know, in someone's estate somewhere. Um, but just sort of treating that as a nightclub or as uh, a performance of some, you know, you know, throttling that up or down to what the client's looking for. I mean, some clients, you know, want this flashy, flashy experience and some you know, wanted something much more subdued and so meet their needs and what they needed for the evening. But, you know, eventually someone sees it, hopefully. Right. And yeah. so that's what kind of worked for me as far as the rock and roll work was, you know, some people stuck their head out for me and gave me a few chances and succeeded in those moments. And those carried on to future opportunities. Fashion work is, is a bit harder to come by. I think, you know, the industry has been shrinking. Right? Yeah. Like, so uh, New York Fashion Week has slowly been shrinking over the last 10 plus years. Uh, the on site tents keep doing what they're doing this year, notwithstanding. And, but the off site stuff, which used to fuel a lot of lighting business, very much has shrunk. And so I think that, you know, you know some niches ebb and some flow. And it, it's about sort of hopefully following that wave and catching the next gig.
0: I guess that's why it's so important to be diverse because if you know one year fashion is the biggest thing in the world next year it's they're scaling back cuz they don't have the same line. So I would imagine you are in a good place to just pivot to architecture when when fashion decreases.
1: Yeah. Uh there's there's been a few architecture projects in the past few years. Uh still sort of building out that portfolio a little bit. Uh, I think it's a tricky market to work in uh, architects generally uh, want to do all of it. Yes. Uh, and, you know, the large architectural firms have in-house lighting departments uh, with an army of draftsmen uh, that do all of that work. But even the smaller houses, you know, you figure just a, a less than a dozen employees, um, They that architect is still likely saying, Hey, you know, let's okay. Let's do recessed down lights and we'll do an accent here and some linear stuff there. Uh, and then their draftsman sort of puts it in. And so I, I think it's actually hard to find an architect uh, who wants to work with a consultant, uh, a lighting designer consultant in particular. So I think that's really the hard trick is is building that relationship where you're not like you are a creative in addition to their work. You're not stomping on their work. You're not like to their team. And, mm-hmm. and I. Th- Think that's in the architectural market. I think it's a bit hard to find.
0: Yeah, if you're not ready, they'll 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 sniff you out. They're like, oh, he doesn't know the the jargon, or he doesn't know some of the the requirements, and that it's, it's a tough market to break into. Yeah, they uh, even though it's the same in the regard that it's lighting and it's creating emotion, the the terminology is completely different. The time frame is completely different. The workflow is totally different.
1: Yeah. And the creative process as well. Yeah. Because right? like in theater, you know, I, I took it for granted, you know, you're in tech and you watch something and, oh, that's not quite right. You know, that light really wants to be four feet to the left. Right. And then your next set of tech notes, you know, they go up, you know, in a lift and 15 minutes later, the light is moved. You refocus it onto the next note. And that just doesn't happen in architecture, no. right? Like you want to move something really should have moved it on paper. But yep. right? like once it's built, it's probably not going to get moved. Because if it does, it's a change order. And yeah. that change order is is moving conduit and a whole lot of other things that's not just, you know, using some tie line to move some cable and reclamp a fixture.
0: Yeah. That's hard for a lot of creative people to to kind of grasp that that can't be changed. At least not in any time frame that's that's feasible.
1: Right or 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 budget too. It's like to just, yeah. do they want to remud the wall or not? You know, and, and usually they don't. Right. So, yeah. um, but but it's hopefully if you've done your work on paper right, you shouldn't necessarily have to move those lights. You've 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 drawn it out. You've thought it through. You've modeled it. You've maybe rendered it. You've you know, in some cases, you've built a full scale mock up before closing up walls. Right. You know, there there are ways to catch those mistakes in the process. Yeah. Once it's built. I mean, it's, it's literally, it's built.
0: I'll be honest, the, the one or two architectural designs I've done, I've been bummed because I didn't know about exit lights. And I built this, this you know, just a, a beautiful environment. And then they're like, oh, well, you have to have these exit lights. Like, oh, man, <laughs> those, those are so harsh in my vibe, man. I don't want those in here, but you have to, you got to have them. Like, I don't want them though.
1: But Yeah. Hey, safety's important.
0: Safety is absolutely important, and I, you know, I absolutely acquiesced. And like, okay, those belong there. I guess. Yeah,
1: but does it have to be lit up? Does it have, <laughs> does it have to be red?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what about the little, uh, the little battery beacon light? Can we just take that off? No, that has to be yeah. there too. Yeah, but the things that are similar is is I think something that we can talk about more is that you have to take the same desire to create emotion that you do in theater and rock and roll and comedy and you have to apply that to fashion and architecture do you yeah. find yourself having to collaborate more or do you usually go off your off on your own tangent there
1: uh, it varies so so sometimes if it's with a team there is some collaboration i think more often i'm on my own for some of it but ultimately i think it's all storytelling whether we're watching a concert a piece of theater walk into an office lobby, you know, or, or, you know, any sort of public setting, even private setting. I mean, once the sun sets, we have choices to make. yeah. And those choices directly affect how we experience ourselves in that space. And we can make poor choices we make good choices. Those choices are driven on economics, aesthetics, feasibility, safety, to your point earlier. Mm-hmm. And so Yeah, I think it's important that no matter what the environment is that we create a a lighting design that tells the story of that space, whether, you know, and if that's like the lobby to a building, okay, well, that room has a function and, and the light should allow for that function and form and, and beauty. And the story may be very simple, right? The story is, you know, someone walks in this door, says hello to this person at a desk and then goes in that elevator. So how is it like, how do we interact with the desk? How do you see that person? How do you, you know, share that space? And, you know, whether, you know, then you push it forward to say like, you know, someone's home, right? We're often in our homes after dark. And so how is it that we see ourselves, see our loved ones? I think, you know, good lighting, which is of course like, you know, entirely um, uh, from your own perspective um, can make a difference. And I think the things that, that perhaps a lighting designer thinks about that someone else doesn't is the subtleties that um, work subconsciously on us. Yeah. Right? No, the average person can't talk about Kelvin color temperature, but they know how the quality of white light feels on them. Right. Right? They can't, you know, they don't necessarily understand what CRI means, but they understand looking at vibrant colors versus looking at something that isn't that vibrant. Mm -hmm. And I don't think, you know, your big box, you know, home improvement stores do any help when, I mean, CRI isn't even listed on most of the product they sell. Yeah. And that used to not be a thing. You buy a tungsten bulb, it's gonna produce beautiful light because it's a piece of tungsten filament and that's what it's gonna do. And CFLs never took over because, they had a very poor CRI and everyone yeah. said, Oh, I don't, I don't like the way these look in my home. Well, there's good reason, but no one necessarily explained it. And now with led, it could be either. Right. Yeah. Like you can root, re- you can lose just a little bit of efficiency in order to have a much higher quality of light and they'll charge more for the bulb or there's a cheap bulb that doesn't do that. And then people put them in their home and wonder, Oh, well, this doesn't look so great. And they want to go back to tungsten when, you know, and I don't. I don't think it's a job to to you know uh, inform the consumer about CRI. It's like minutia. These are like little tiny things. You right. know, it's our job as lighting designers to understand the qualities of light and why we choose certain things over others. Right. But you know. But nonetheless, like consumers are stuck in the middle, and occasionally someone like me gets hired to help them. You know, parse through it and make some choices.
0: hmm and it, it's rarely the decisions that are made up front that get noticed it's usually the somebody who's been under the wrong lighting for a, a, an amount of time like man this something just doesn't feel right yeah i and would it's imagine the uh, yeah people who work in cubicles under fluorescent for 8 hours a day i would imagine after a while they're like man i just don't feel good there's so, you know maybe there's not enough windows maybe there's not enough warmth I don't know
1: yeah and if we've done our job right it feels good yeah right and and we might not know why it feels good we might you know it, 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 it's and it's probably not just the lighting there are other choices to be made as to why we you know we find it a space inviting or or not or why we want to spend more time or you know but 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 it's something that I think everyone can feel mm-hmm. you know when it's right You might not know why or how, but like, oh, this feels good.
0: I was in a shop the other day, and it was a brand new shop, and nine out of the ten LED fixtures that they were using to light the back wall were cool, and one was warm, (laughs) (laughs) and I had to avert my eyes. I'm like, you guys, I don't know what happened. Did you guys add another one after did you not know do you not care do you do you guys not see what i see
1: yeah i, I see it often i mean it's and often. particularly with like you know with, with fluorescent you know whenever you see fluorescent linear stuff or like yeah there's all like color temperatures don't match you know and there's there's beauty and repetition right yeah you know from a design standpoint right there's um there's beauty and symmetry you know all, all these things and And so, yeah, when there's like that one bulb, that's not like the others. Now, sometimes there's good reason to do that, right? The asymmetric (laughs) things can be beautiful, right? Like not all designs should be symmetrical. Um, Agreed. And and sometimes you want that one or random bulb that is not like the others or, you know, that is furthering your story, right? Again, back to how we tell that story um, and that is jarring on purpose. Like you, you're trying to catch someone's eye or trying to, you know, make a point about that particular environment. There,
0: You're right. There absolutely is a, uh, a purpose to making people feel uncomfortable at, at certain points. Uh, there's a lot of power in making people feel uncomfortable and making them feel something, you know, as opposed to just painting a pretty repetitious picture don't know when it definitely doesn't belong (laughs) it definitely didn't belong in the uh in the head shop i was at the other day that's for (laughs)
1: sure (laughs) yeah
0: it was definitely a mistake and it made me it made me question you know this is why you should hire somebody somebody else should say like hey this is this is not right Uh, and it's a bummer yeah it was a bummer
1: and we and i feel like we find that every day yeah I mean, less so now that we're maybe going into random retail establishments and, you know, pandemic life is a little bit different, but, but broadly speaking on, you know, on a, we'll just say normal non-pandemic day, you, uh, (laughs) you experience these things.
0: Yeah. When do you, in the design process, when do you decide that, when do you make that decision? When do you decide to go fully just functional and when do you decide to go extravagant?
1: Um, fairly early. I mean, I think that's a, that's one of the initial conversations with the client. Okay. So, uh, I mean, I think it varies market to market, uh, in the way that, that thought process and research process goes, but it starts at a conversation of, of expectations. What, what are we looking to do here? What's the story we want to tell? Right. And so if it's not a play that has a script that we can read and say, Oh yeah, we we've all read the same script. This is the story we're gonna do, you know, and the director has his take on it and we, you know, help bring that to fruition. Um, I'd say non-theatrical things are similar in that vibe, except there's no text, right? Right. So instead, you know, together with, whether that's an interior designer, an architect, um, you know, whoever else might be involved in the project, you know, if it's like a, a nightclub, for instance, that there's isn't the owner, you know, clearly has a vision of, of what they're trying to build. Uh, and early on, you know, w- what's what's the vibe? How is this space being used? Mm-hmm. Are, we, are we throwing a dance party every night? Uh, or is this a place where people just walk through to access their their desk? And then you throttle up and down from there.
0: Do you feel that you get the same creative outlet from doing something with a text and something without a text?
1: It's a different creative outlet. I think there's, there's something powerful to being confined to a script, a space, a budget, time. Like constraints are good, right? Like I think that that can be helpful to, to help move a design forward. Um, but it's also nice when sometimes those things don't exist and you can do some research that takes you to faraway places, uh, things we might not have thought about, and then present those ideas to the client and say, hey, like, what if it was like this? Uh and then you know present some image research or or other documentation as to why this might be a, a good route to go down. And sometimes that works out well.
0: Yeah. Which one do you prefer? Let's say you got a phone call, you got two phone calls on the day. It's the it's the greatest day. You get two phone calls. One for a design for a architectural lobby, and the other one is for the band that you've wanted to see for five years which oh, I, one I would, in in your core you're like i'm gonna d- go for the
1: oh i would take the band's work band heartbreak. every time yeah and well so music is like really important for me in life uh okay. you know i grew up uh, as a musician started playing piano at four a saxophone at seven drums at ten uh and while i don't play many of those instruments anymore um you know it's the best lessons I learned in high school was being forced to spit 16 bars, uh, whether that was in front of your classmates or in front of an auditorium of hundreds of people. And mm-hmm. so uh, the musical knowledge in that experience is is in almost all of my work. Okay. And so anything like that's attached to music, I- I'm a bit more drawn to, even more so if it's music I like. You know, th- there's, and I like most of it. It's my like hard pressed to find something like I wouldn't necessarily do, but yeah, the music, because for me then, like the, the, the text or the source is the music, right? We, we have this body of music and then I can speak to the artist and say like, you know, why did you write this song? What does this song say to you? What is this song, what's this album about? What's, what's the story we're here to tell? And uh, the music I think then becomes a, a, a real big driving force in how the design gets created
0: that sort of music uh, eclectic music is that what drew you to the roots i would imagine that that's got to be very fulfilling as a musician and a lighting person
1: it is on many levels i'm mean, there a phenomenal band uh, yeah. we do a live hit without a click track everywhere we go uh it's it feels like you know real sort of rock and roll and it is and from a lighting perspective the design is uh, on some levels it's a punt but there's a there's a, a story that's crafted that you know sort of gets told on any given night, okay. and uh, you know we have a you know there's a rider light plot. I see it maybe three shows a year, uh, <laughs> and more often we're playing you know festivals, theaters, clubs, you know venues that have uh, a light plot already installed. You know we're a large band, uh, so there's a lot of you know expenses. For us to get up and perform, and so we often will just take accept the light rig as is and yeah. not expect the rider. Um, as long as there's you know lights that we can do a show with, if there's nothing there that's a, you know a different story. Right. Um, so it's so that you know there's a file that just keeps migrating from show to show. Some songs have maybe two to four cues. That's sort of as deep as it gets, and it and it's it's all about how does this rig go to ten. And I know that, okay, at these two moments in the show, we'll hit 10. The majority of the show is gonna sit between six and nine. uh, And there are a few moments we'll hit two and three in the world of dynamics. And so, okay, this rig has a bunch of strobes. Great, we're gonna make that 10. Uh, But this other rig doesn't have any strobes. So, you know, how is it that I can get the impact uh, of that same moment? And then constantly dialing back the punt from there. So it's like, okay, so we know that, you know, we will end with this. Assuming for time, we make it there. Sometimes, you know, we cut it short, uh, <laughs> and uh, which always sucks because when you like when you when you've written this one effect, you're like, "Oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to save this to the end," and then the show just doesn't get there because ah! you know, guitar solo ran long, and you know, something else went long, and so you know, we adapt, you know, cut a few things off. Um, so, like, there's an idea of like the way some of the solos work and how I'll flesh out a rig in certain. Instances, but it's always a new rig, which is which is creative from a punt standpoint. Like, how can I play with this rig and and treat it like a musical instrument and and express a visual idea? And I've also sort of learned a lot by seeing other people's rigs, particularly you know whether it's overseas in Europe, um, uh-huh. you know, and and seeing sort of the European school of rock and roll design, uh, which has um, a different school of thought than the Americans. Uh, yeah. But it's consistent because you go, you jump festival to festival in Europe, and there are commonalities of the way those rigs are designed and built. Uh, and the same is true in America, but they're different. And that has also, like, you know, uh, learned from, like, oh, like, oh, you could do that. That's cool. Like, I, that didn't occur to me, you know, whatever, whether it's a rigging thing, a shape thing. Um, yeah it's 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 nice to see the variety
0: i just made the connection of how uh, apropos it is that the roots have a musician as their lighting guy i mean they're in many circles they're considered a musician's musician and for you to be out in front of house just kind of jamming along that only makes perfect sense
1: yeah i i don't know if i would totally call myself a musician still uh, to be fair i've i've been trying to so in the in the pandemic i've been trying to pick a horn back up. And so, so I, you know, I played all throughout my teens. In college, I didn't really find an outlet uh, that I enjoyed playing with. And so it just kind of went away. Uh, I've regretted that for many years. And so now like trying to get back into that if at least to to sort of keep my chops up, right. And, and rhythm and timing. And uh, if I'm not gonna push buttons on a console I can push keys on an instrument uh, and still sort of stay a little fresh and and loose and you know find where that flow is huh
0: did uh, did lighting kind of fill that niche for you
1: it did i mean in college so i remember i don't know when i was 14 i went to my first fish concert saw chris carrada's work and i was sort of blown away and I Boom. Was, and i was like oh i want to do that and then you know, at the same time, you know, my like early mid teens, you know, see Fenton Williams work uh, with Dave Matthews and be like, oh, this, this is amazing. Uh, and, you know, see Radiohead show and like, and Andy Watson's work, these, these were like, uh, I was like, oh, I want to do that, you know? Uh, and at the time I was already like deep into theater and, you know, I was a stage manager at, at high school. I showed up to college thinking that I was going to be a professional stage manager. And I left as a lighting designer and It was a really important transition where I learned I did not want to be a stage manager, uh, and I wanted to, you know, uh, explore the creativity within how lighting tells the story, okay. or how can be a, how can be a part of telling that story, and uh, and then I started doing weddings and bar mitzvahs. So hey, um, <laughs> you know, it it, <laughs> Stepping it all step, Baby out. steps. Baby yeah, steps. no, but uh, we, we take it. Whatever we take the gigs that, that, yeah. that show up. And yep. it thankfully it worked out, but yeah, so you know it it got to a place i mean the music definitely informs what I do, and i don 't see like i, I, I couldn 't see it any other way, uh, but that being said it 's also refreshing to do an architectural lobby, for instance, right that that is not related to music at all and still is telling a story and still being expressive and still creating. The corporate work I feel like melds those two things together, so so like if you think of like a fashion show similar to cor- similar to a a lobby, the idea is that you're you're creating an existence, a quality of light that exists down the entire runway or that exists in this you know office building or whatever that is, and uh, you know that for fashion like that is a perfect column of light, right? You can walk a light meter down uh, and plus or minus half a stop you're good cameras are going to be happy everybody's happy okay. the corporate environment the events that i think sadly will take much longer to come back when this pandemic is over is the blend of that runway and that rock and roll show so there is there is a stage wash that for a ceo that's going to parade and he'll find all the corners and so yeah. you know so so you you like this you key the stage to, for camera, everyone's happy. And then behind him is a PowerPoint presentation embedded in something prettier than a PowerPoint presentation, right? Something to keep the yeah. eyeballs up and everyone active. And, you know, whether, whatever that background is, we're going to paint it with light. In some cases, we're painting it with projection. You know, in some cases, it's a hybrid. Um, but it's, it's, those can have musical cues. I mean, the, the show still does, right? There's walk-on music. Yep. There's... You know all sorts of audience engagement, so music is still helping to tell that story. You put a bed of music under some sort of action that's happening uh, and there are visual cues that go along with
0: it. yeah, I think that's gonna come back sooner, sadly. I mean for all intensive purposes that's that's great. Anything that comes back is uh, is worth getting out of bed and putting on a shirt for that's for sure, yeah. Uh, speaking of that, what are you doing during the COVID era that you're to keep that, to keep your creative juices flowing?
1: So I, I, after a little bit of shock, I I was in Phoenix on a, a, a ballroom pharmaceutical gig early March and headline. I think the the headline that really caught me was that the, the new Rochelle case came up and I, I live in the New York area and I was like, Oh, okay. It's already here. And then you put together it like, can't just be this one case, like, you know, and then you start thinking through everything, and I was making sure my flight home was still good. Like I thought they would shut down air traffic, which they didn't, and we can debate, you know, whether or not that was a good or bad choice. Yeah. But um, I did make it home and and I quickly realized that, you know, you know, our industry was the first to close and we'll be the last to come back. You know, in order to in order to be comfortable. In order to have a show and be like to sit shoulder to shoulder, stand shoulder to shoulder and breathe each other's air and and shared experience. I mean, that's what makes a show so powerful, right? It is right. that shared energy, you know, live, I mean, you know, live theater, it's these human actors in front of you giving off energy that you absorb uh, physically, whether it's breathing or, or sound or light, right? And so um, this just stuff, this stuff isn't coming back until it's over. So I, I sort of quickly pivoted into sabbatical mode. Uh, and so the idea was there, there was the choice of, of sort of entering that virtual market. And I sort of chose not to. I, I think, you know, the, the big players, you know, your large production houses, you know, they got gear on the shelf, they've got an empty room. They can, they can create all those things. They have the bandwidth to do that. And I'm not going to be able to compete uh, economically with that. Like, you know, okay. I, I'm a, a design firm with, you know, we we don't own lights, right? Like that's all on a rental basis. So it's not like I have gear on the shelf that I can sort of make that kind of thing with. Um, and so instead, I wanted to treat like a sabbatical where I can better inform myself. I can, you know, what are the things that I haven't been doing because I've been working so much? Things, things were busy before a pandemic. Yeah. And... Uh, some of the stuff I can't do, right? I think the ideal sabbatical includes going to museums, seeing theater, seeing shows, you know, <laughs> absorbing the arts in a way, you know, the joke is like, oh, we don't see theater, we work in theater, like there's no right. time for that. Uh, and so, and that's true, I think in the concert world and in all these markets is that if we're busy working, we're, we're not out busy experiencing and seeing those shows. So, right. so that side of a sabbatical isn't happening right? No. If, I can't, if I can't, although the museums have just started to reopen New York, and I am very much looking forward to uh, going back and seeing some things. Oh, that's exciting.
0: Um, that's refreshing to hear.
1: Yeah, yeah they have 25% capacity. Uh, okay. They've made some really safe choices. Um, it's still a risk, uh, yeah. but, you know, I, at some point we
0: choose. We have to eventually. Right? We
1: choose our, 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 the risk we're willing to accept, and yep. uh, perhaps I'll go back in and, and, and be inspired by uh, the art that is Here in New York, you know, just a little bit away. Otherwise, uh, the things that are in my control. So, photography has always been really important to me. That started in college. People came to shoot the work that I was making in college, and the photos never, the photos didn't always look exactly like what I saw on stage. And so, I learned how to use a camera, and in the process, learned how differently the human eye. And a camera and, a, you know, a digital back or, or film works and the super limitations of a camera. And if you really want, you know, it made me polish my on stage work. So where I think there used to be much larger gaps in Um, in light output, right, where things—if you just took a photo, lots, some things are going to blow out, and some things are going to fall apart and fall away. Um, mm-hmm. I think I found that dynamic range to be narrower, and and still have the full breath. I mean, there are so there are moments where you should go outside that camera range, right? There's reasons to blind an audience. There's reasons to, you know, for things to disappear. Right. Uh, you're you're shaping that that scene, but um, a lot of my work does include cameras. Right. And so it's important to understand if you want it to like why something doesn't look right on camera, you know, why that blue looks white on camera. Yeah. You know, and so uh, that started as I was sort of like, as I was finishing college. And so now this summer uh, I left New York, Uh, I went to Colorado uh, and hiked through the mountains, took a lot of pictures and, you know, it was this sort of like embrace of nature and looking back at you know what does a medium leaf template do oh it does this thing i i see right now right like like hiking through the woods and seeing the sun cast shadows and you know reminding ourselves like we are just creating artificial representations of light yeah and so why and, and, and why, you know, why choose color? Why choose pattern? Why choose angle? You know, why choose a certain instrument? And I found hiking through the woods with a camera to be like this sort of zen of, of like not worrying about an industry that is, that is having serious problems, right? Like we're yeah. on hold. I mean, there are millions of people worldwide out of jobs. It's, 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 it's rough. And so it's a way to just escape that, frankly, and, and h- hike in the woods. Like this is under my control. I can go for a hike today with a camera and, uh, and remind myself of like what it is we do. And so I found the photography process to be helpful. Uh, I've, I've been reading a lot of fiction. Uh, which is really new to me. Like I, I, huh. I, I read a lot of mostly politics, uh, short form, whether it's a newspaper or magazine, uh, occasionally some long form politics or nonfiction, science, you know, that kind of stuff. But it's rare that I would read fiction. Like to me, fiction was always something for theater or for movies or like like storytelling, uh, I'm a visual person. So I would like seeing the visual representation and here we are not allowed you know, it's not safe to go and and see a piece of theater. So, yeah. um, so reading some fiction and that's been uh, a nice escape, and a little bit of drawing as well. Getting back to uh, those kind of roots of of um, sketching. As I, was, I sometimes I would hike with a sketch pad, pencils, and and a sketch pad, and uh, stop for a little bit and sketch the view in front of us. And uh, nice, yeah.
0: This all tie. This all ties back to storytelling for you. It's. Uh, it sounds like even with photography, you didn't like the way other people were telling your story. So you're like, well, no, I'm going to pick up a camera and express my story in the way that I see the the setting here.
1: Yeah, there's. I mean, there's there's a bit of the control freak side of it, right? Like you know, <laughs> um, and the exacting sort in of, you know, like theater school you know, for better or worse teaches us like that perfection is the goal, right? Yeah. Like, you know, and, you know, keep looking, there's something wrong in there. You haven't found it yet. Keep looking, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, and every choice has to be backed up by research or, or text usually, or, you know, and the, the photography work was definitely a side piece to that. Um, and it's also like the way in which to control and manipulate a camera, right? You know, and, and the way we balance exposure and the choices we make in camera uh, to tell that story, is it about a subject? Is it about a landscape? Is it about, you know, the way we frame objects or, um, you know, it, 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 I think it, for me, it helps keep my eye uh, uh, working.
0: That's a, that's a very apt metaphor because when you're walking through Colorado with a camera, you could be taking a photo every second of the walk, but you, you, but you also can't. You have to wait <laughs> until those exact inspirations' like, yes, that's the moment, yeah, that's a moment, whereas I mean, you know that you could be there's infinite possibilities, and you have to narrow it down to just enough that are inspiring and tell the story of that day
1: you got you gotta you gotta keep moving. <laughs> if, yeah. if you stop too many times, like you know <laughs> you gotta get out of there it's you know it was beautiful and inspiring, and you know not a summer i'll ever think i have again right like typically you know july you know half half of july spent in europe bouncing festivals and then every other weekend for the summer is bouncing domestic work and there's usually a lot of pavement you know to pound in 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 the summer and didn't have that this summer so it was was a nice you know way of uh pivoting and making the best of uh, a rough situation
0: that is that that is the ray of optimism that i was looking for right there that is that is something that we can be doing. We can try and look at this the, 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 the opposite way. Like, yeah, we're, we all kind of needed some time off because we didn't take it any other way. But uh, I guess we were forced into some time off.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, it sucks. I mean, I don't have like, it, it's, it's hard, right? Like, It you is know, hard. Uh, our industry is, is hurting. And I know some people uh, are hurting a lot. And, um, you know, and some of I recognize it's a bit of a luxury that I was able to go and hike for the summer, you know, and, uh, and so I appreciate that. And I recognize that that some people can't make those choices. uh, And have had to pivot to other industries, just to, you know, to make ends meet. And uh, I have a lot of respect for however it is people make it through this time. Um, But my to your point about being optimistic, which I think is is still important, this time will end. And people want to be entertained and they will pay to be entertained. Um, assuming, I mean, on some level, assuming there's money in their pockets, but, but even if, even in the not-for-profit world, right, there are endowments that their sole mission is to put the arts out there for the public to consume. And Mm -hmm. so, uh, it'll, it'll be, there is a rebuilding process that, that has to happen, but it will happen. And, uh, I look forward to when we're all back working and there's, you know, all that kind of work shows up again.
0: Yep. Uh, I'm starting to see a trend and I don't know if you've seen it as well, but I'm starting to see a couple theaters going like, well, clearly we're going to be down for a while. This is the time to uh, fix, fix up the, the arena or fix up the, the small venues. Are you starting to see some people going like, well, if this isn't coming back, let's, let's make some renovations.
1: I'm, I'm certainly hearing some talk about it. I'm I've not heard sure heard I'm not sure how much physical work is being done yet. I think a lot of that's tied to federal aid uh, yeah. and there's obviously a big push in the industry uh, to get, a, you know, if the airlines get a carve out, we should get a carve out too. Absolutely. Uh, and I think there are great ways to put the public's money, put tax dollars to use, uh, and, and not just as a straight jobs program, but we can upgrade the infrastructure. We can make these spaces safer for one, right? We can upgrade yeah. HVAC systems. We can make the air circulation systems as safe as it is on an airplane, for instance, yeah. right? Like that, that is existing technology. Um, and then from the theater side of it, we can upgrade the lighting systems. We can get rid of the dimmers. We can, uh, we can make it so that when we do get back to work, we are showing up to a safer environment that is more energy efficient, that uh, is cheaper to operate in. Which I think is also important for the touring market. You know, if you if you're pulling 50 trucks into a venue, you know, do you have to shuttle it uh, with a parade of forklifts, <laughs> for instance, as some New York venues have, uh, yep. or, uh, or or are the systems in place uh, that that make for efficiencies that that everyone can see, not just the band or the brand or the production company, but the venue itself? Uh, and then the grid, like if we, deal, if we need less power on the grid to, to make these events happen, that too is, all, is is good for society.
0: Yeah. So out on the West Coast, a lot of the theaters are very new and they've been built in this decade. In New York, it's not quite the same. I mean, in New York is full of A-level top shelf people. Uh, I mean, some of the greatest stagehands in the world and the the theaters are just so old that there's there's so many obstacles they have to get through i would imagine that now would be a time to just like hey let's let's see what we can do to ease or avoid some of these these obstacles and just kind of renovate yeah. just kind of bring things into the modern era in some way yeah. in some
1: regard well the the buildings were built uh with very different expectations of what would happen inside them you're right Right. So, I mean, they were built, you know, some of them 100 plus years ago uh, with these tiny loading docks uh, with, with, you know, very little wing space. Uh, You know, you're lucky if the loft clears the proscenium. You know, there's uh, all these ways in which, and now we pack so much more show into these rooms, right? And once you get away from theaters, if you look like ballrooms and hotel ballrooms, I mean, some of the older hotels, you know, you're sharing the dock with the, the garbage truck. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, and the linen delivery and the fresh food delivery and you're lucky if you get your truck in. And right. so, you know, so now that we have these higher expectations, great. Let's put on a let's put on a show, you know. Um it'd be great if these venues were better equipped to manage the flow of goods uh, and people.
0: Yeah. The focus has changed. It's ch- uh, the, the focus used to be the the entire theater was the performance space and then you'd have maybe just a few people on stage and they'd do a thing and they dance and sing and then they'd go away yeah it's not the case anymore
1: yeah i uh, remember the first time i was uh backstage of a broadway house and i was just and i was i think I was a, a kid and i was just shocked at how tiny the wings were yeah in uh, and was, it was Les Mis. It was probably like the mid-90s, early 90s. I don't know. And and I remember like it was after the show. So I'd already seen the show. It was like, where is this barricade? Like, you know, and all these other things that, that, you know, and then you look in the wings and everything's sort of flown up. I mean, every inch of space was somehow being used uh, for storage. And that to me was also amazing. I mean, I, I, swear, I got into theater for the for the technology and behind the scenes like I was never really curious interested in being on stage it was always like oh how'd they make that happen that's really cool you know it was the smoke and mirrors of theater that, yep. that got me excited and and then as a stage manager I was able to sort of like like synthesize those things and sort of put some management control into like how those things operate um, and then again college is like more the electrics and the the lighting side of it And then the music side of it was like, oh no no, this let's try doing this. Um, But yeah, there's these spaces in New York are are tiny and and old. I mean, I was the Broadway houses are are pretty well kept for the most part. Like the the fly lofts work.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: um, You know, it's generally speaking a safe environment to work in. But I think in the rock and roll market, that's where you get sort of some converted spaces, some old theaters that then we have a movie house and something else and a movie house again and now it's a concert venue, you know, and <laughs> and like they and they won't even touch the pin rail. Right? right. Like like on paper, it says the rigging system not working. Right. <laughs> and so so we right. So we show up with motors and we hang truss and and we we do how we now know to put on a show. But if there you know, now's the time we could be upgrading these systems. We could be making them easier, safer more efficient to work in so that we can do even bigger shows in these spaces years from now.
0: There's a handful of venues in New York that I've seen are being very effective at maximizing the small spaces. I think a lot of that is modern technology and green technology and LED stuff there. You can fit so much more gear or options and resources into a smaller place thanks to led the led revolution
1: yeah we we shrank the light bulb yeah we did it i mean we i didn't but like you know uh, someone did and i'm glad to use them uh yeah. and yeah and and and, and change the expectations right the way we can embed light into scenery architecture you know whatever that is has risen the expectation that you know Anything can be a light box. Anything can be linear. Like, like light can emanate from anywhere as long as you have enough money to put it in. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, um, and beautiful things can happen. And I think sometimes it, you know, it can also get be overdone and, and there, there's a line that is too much. Um,
0: <laughs> that is the slippery slope that exists for sure.
1: Yeah. Just because we can do something doesn't mean we should. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but it's there. The tools are available
0: uh i would imagine a lot of the theaters that uh, they're in new york they have one or two 100 amp services maybe uh, 400 which used to be able to power 60 fixtures and they're like well that's enough that's it but now that same 400 amp service can power a thousand fixtures yeah and now it's up to guys like you and i to like well do we need a thousand fixtures
1: yeah absolutely and and to what end right like uh, more light isn't necessarily the solution. In no. fact, often more darkness is, is perhaps the better solution.
0: Are you excited to see the, the, the movement towards a greener technology? because I mean historically we are not necessarily a green industry. We don't support minimal minimization. We're, we're built on extravagance.
1: Yeah. Well, I think there have been movements uh, for a few years running now trying to make the industry greener. Uh, it's not just the raw power we consume when we plug things in. I mean, this from the travel industry to the catering industry to to all the you know all the ways in which a show happens. Yeah, you know, like I mean, we could run down the list of of the ways in which uh, food product you know all all things are consumed or not consumed. Um, but I think that technology has gotten us to a point where, at least from from the, the lighting grid standpoint, you know, we can. Uh, we can consume less power, right? We can literally do the same park hand show from the 70s at 15% of the power. Yep. So, okay, so that's cool, right? And so now we can do, you know, other things that, you know, so we've now added more lights though. On some level, like we're still using the full company switch, right? Like if if you look at, so so. the power is still available, right? Like huge arenas, to your point, like there's just walls of company switches, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, each system or each truck, you know, whatever that is, keeps taking over another another switch. And so we've added more and more and more gear, the extravagance of it, to your point, right? Like we keep, you know, the, it just keeps getting bigger. Yeah. And I don't think it necessarily needs to, but there is a demand from the public on some level, like, you know, someone's got to outdo the next guy, I remember, it uh, was probably what, 15 plus years ago, Genesis did their comeback tour and they had that massive video wall. And it was like the first time someone, if I recall, someone did like that kind of like, you know, edge to edge video wall and the entire show moved in like 200 trucks or right. something, you know. And it's like, okay, like to your point, that probably consumed all those company switches, right? right. But it was all, it was a lot of LED. And so it's still a lot of power. I, I've sort of... I not like justified it or rationalized it, but there is this idea that it is, even though a single show may use a lot of power, uh, it is being consumed by lots of people, right? So an arena right. show that has 10 or 20,000 people in the room, um, once you divide it out like per person, how much power is consumed, okay, maybe it's not that bad. And you say for for one night to have this experience, and I do think that having those kinds of experiences are important, right? Like. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a bit biased on this, but like the arts is is a good reason to continue living life. Like we, you know, to to yeah. to, to whether that's creating or consuming, it's important. But that's music or, or visual or whatever that is. So, it I think it's it's okay if we're using a certain amount of energy. At what we have point to. that right? We have to. At what point that becomes too much? I don't know. You know, that's hard to. You know, I, I would prefer to fix the supply side. You know, let's yep. not keep burning coal. Yeah, you know there 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 are much cleaner ways with existing technology that we could be generating power on the grid. Yep, but those things are way outside of my control. I can I can yep. only specify a light plot.
0: Yeah, I, I would imagine that comes to the the heart of the matter here is that it's not our job to tell our artists that they can't do something but it is totally within our power to tell them the most efficient and effective way to do what it is they want us to do. Yeah. It's not for us to say like, well, you, you really shouldn't be touring with a video wall because you know the power, but it is totally within our power to say, look, this one is more efficient and more eco-friendly and made with better materials than that one. It might cost a little bit more right now, but that's the, that's what we have to do. To, you know, to save the environment, to save, you know, to be more sustainable.
1: Yeah. And it always does come down to money in yes. the end.
0: Right? right.
1: So, you know, uh, the, a lot of rental houses still have arc sources on the shelf and they'll rent them much cheaper than they will the newest LED fixture that just hit the market or even the LED fixture that's been on the market for five years. Right. And so the good news is now there, there, there is quality. And I mean like what I would consider high quality LED gear that's been on the market for five plus years, even longer perhaps, right? And so, you know, you don't need the newest toy that came out this year. You know, we can get four of a toy that came out five years ago and be way more expressive with that and still burn less power, or we can get 10 of these arc lamps and again, like, and not that, not that the is going to understand, like, like not that I need to go into the technology minutia, but, right. you know, but then there's the idea of like, oh, well, you know, we can get racks and racks and racks of, of, you know, a particular moving light from, you know, the early aughts or whenever that was where there's yep. thousands sitting on the shelf that the rental shops would happily, you know, send out. And I think again, beginning of it's like, you know, federal aid where that comes to these venues that, can put in more efficient systems. On some level, it's also rental companies and people who have, you know, legacy equipment on the shelf that economically they need to keep renting because they own it, you know. And so they're not buying new. Well, they, I mean, there's some of that. They're still buying new equipment. But I think if there was some sort of aid, say, no, no, let's let's all agree that we need to modernize, you know, the industry and mm-hmm. and spend like tax breaks for buying new led gear that retires old arc lamps for instance yeah yeah those kinds of things can perhaps accelerate the transition to consuming less energy
0: i think that's part of a major shift that we're seeing and even in the last five years where maybe 10 years ago rock and roll was still like look how big expensive and wasteful we are like we've got 10,000 gigawatts of power just to put it in the magazine that we have 10,000 gigawatts of just because we're (laughs) using it Yeah, for the first time. And I mean, just barely pre COVID, I got some of my first people come in like, Hey, so we want to go big, but we want to go as green as possible. And that was really nice to hear. It was very refreshing. It was very, it made me feel like people are starting to shift in that direction. Like, Hey, we still want to do art, but we want to do it as sustainable and as eco-friendly as possible. And
1: it- yeah, I mean, look, right now the, the West is literally on fire. To as an as an understatement. Yeah. Right, and I think uh, people are making the direct link that you know that climate change is a problem, and the way we burn and consume energy is a problem. And if we don't want our communities to literally burn down or flood or otherwise get destroyed by mother nature, uh, we need to do something about it yesterday. Yeah. And our industry has a role to play in that.
0: All of us every, uh, to a certain degree, every single one of us has a role to play for sure. Yeah. Number one, people who even stopped doing their, their gender reveal parties with, with pyro,
1: yeah yeah, among other things yes um i was so like and and even like now like like you know bright side of the pandemic is you know air traffic is down 80 percent plus right globally and so and i i recall this in the springtime and it's you know again i I am not a scientist i i just you know went hiking through the woods right but like yeah i I feel like there was this common thread of people saying like is is springtime greener this year right there was this idea like like you know and, and I, yeah, like, again, this is like totally, that's a conjecture, but like, just my own experience is that this New York City in May and June was greener than the year prior. Trees seem to be happier. And again, and this is made just my own belief being projected yep, yep. onto my eyeballs. But this idea that, you know, there was a whole lot less carbon consumed and, sh- and, and put into the air mainly by shutting down air travel and car travel that went down and, you know, on some of it worked, right? Like, yeah. And as I'm I'm walking in the woods of of Colorado, you know, I I can't quite compare it to other summers because I hadn't had that experience prior, but there was like wildflowers everywhere. And like, you know, nature was just blossoming in like in full glory. And I hope that when we pick back up, you know, So like like friends, like the corporate meetings, right? Like, Mm -hmm. so it's not just the crew of 10 to 30 that flew into town, work with a local crew of 10 to 100, and then, you know, a few hundred or a few thousand attendees fly in and we do this three-day conference and then people go home. And I I think some of those events aren't coming back. It will take a long time to come back because it's a lot cheaper to produce it over Zoom and it is less effective. Right. Mm-hmm. The, the, if we yep. get back to you, don't have the, the, the energy of shared space and shared air, you know, uh, uh, is something that we all miss in however many Zoom meetings we've had to be on. And yep. so while I don't think this will come back, it's also like an energy footprint that's not going to come back. Yeah. Right? That was that was a few thousand flights that aren't going to happen. Right. Oh. Uh, the rock and roll industry, uh, you know, is often tied to an airplane. Right, there's bus and trucking, but, but the bus and truck tour is almost a thing of the past, right? There's very few, I remember uh, um, pre-Great Recession, mm-hmm. you know, there were probably about, and you may have correct me, if I'm wrong here, like, I want to say roughly 30 to 35 stadium tours that would happen okay. every summer, right? And then after the Great Recession, there were like five. And the promoters wouldn't take on the risk of an artist not selling the stadium. Right. So so the volume, so, so there's way less stadium tours. And the same thing happened with arenas and we shifted to this festival market.
0: Right. So
1: instead of everyone busing and trucking from theaters and arenas around the country, people would fly into a festival. Yep. Right. we were talking earlier, really I got guests in all these rigs and these festivals because it was it was cheaper to operate to just have a festival rig that everyone uses versus you know busing and trucking all these rigs around the country. Yeah. And so while there's a little bit less footprint as a lot of these trucks aren't necessarily moving, there's a whole lot of air travel that's happening. Uh, and, and I don't think that will go away. Like I think that business model is sort of here to stay for a little bit. There's way less risk for the promoters. Yep. Uh, audiences seem to like it, they're buying tickets. So I think that sort of continues. Um, and I, I mean, I wish, I don't know, can we have like a zero carbon airplane? How long do we have to wait for that?
0: It, it's it's coming i don't know if it's our lifetime but it's close it's awesome close. yeah maybe that
1: hyperloop, you know will get us uh yeah far it's
0: gonna happen uh, if we can dream it we can make it
1: right i i think so i hope so uh, one the of the slivers
0: of uh, of hope that i i really got to see during this pandemic is all the animals that were starting to return to their i saw that the turtles were coming back to their beaches the the deer were coming back and yeah just it's so weird just people stay inside your house for a little bit longer and the animals are just like hey let's let's go explore all this uh yeah, all
1: nature this... nature showed up a little bit
0: yeah i i saw a report that the, the the bees are coming back and
1: ooh that would be good i i i kept hearing about the die off so it'd be nice to know if there was a little reprieve
0: Oh, man uh, you guys we need to we need to help the bees the bees need our help or uh, they don't even need our help they just need us to leave them the fuck alone that's really what the bees need from us.
1: Yeah, nature in general. You know, we're we're uh, yeah, we cause problems apparently when we when we show up.
0: <laughs> All the other animals when they see us coming, they're like, ah, oh, fuck.
1: Well, it's like I've learned, you know, in these festivals, grass was not meant to be walked on, let alone put a stage on it.
0: Nope.
1: You know, like like it. A, a lawn is beautiful until you use it, <laughs> and then it's no longer a lawn. Yeah,
0: they uh, we, we, we're, we're really bad at destroying lawns. It's just something that we're really good at. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, because it makes money. Yeah, you know, if, if the lawn were to just sit there quietly, it, you can't make money off it. But if you put a stage on top of that lawn, it's very profitable.
1: Yeah. Uh, you might have to replace the lawn after, but...
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, it's some, that's something that we're very good at. We're very good at uh, destroying things to for our own amusement, but... And sometimes, that's a whole we, other,
1: sometimes we rebuild them
0: we hope so we hope so that's up to that's up to us it's up to us to remember to rebuild it after we tear it down
1: <laughs> sometimes <laughs> the authorities remind us you know yeah, yeah or it's in the contract it's like oh you'll resod when you're done okay
0: yeah whether you want to or not you're going to <laughs> do that <laughs> <laughs> so. yeah the, i feel like that's a whole other tangent we could go down but uh We are almost out of time. But one of the things I wanted to get to is when it came to the storytelling, and this is one of the things I find the most interesting is when it comes to the storytelling, where do you find your inspiration? And to use a metaphor, like when you're walking through the forest in Colorado, what is the spark that makes you take out your camera and say, that's the one? Where does that, where does that come from for you?
1: So for the hiking, if we stick with that metaphor for a moment, right, okay. someone built that trail. Okay. Someone made the choice to go to the left of this tree, the right of that tree, to bend around the mountain this way. Okay. And some of that's clearly structural. There's a cliff, we don't want to walk off the cliff. <laughs> right? Yes. But some of it is, is, is poetic. This is a beautiful place to view the river. This is a spot to view the waterfall. This hike is a destination to this waterfall and on the way we'll pass these cliffs. Don't worry. You won't go off them, but they're going to be beautiful to look at. And so sometimes I found myself trying to put myself in the shoes of the people who, who crafted those paths who like, cause it's like, in some cases, you know, they're super wide, like a County road. That's like a dirt road. And in some cases, you know, single track, you know, it's just this like eight to 12 inch carve out of, of the ground. And you got to sort of pay attention to make sure you don't lose it sometimes, right, depending on like the growth. And and I think it reveals itself. To your point, like where do you take the photo? Well, you know, after that switchback or or maybe some they literally put a bench there, like there's like, no, no, this, this is a place you should stop. And um, it it tells its own story, right? It's, it, it is guiding us through the woods to a uh-huh. destination that may be a waterfall or a cliff or some beautiful moment. And there's these little beautiful moments along the way. And often, if we move away from the metaphor, continue a little bit, like, I'm not the creator of the story, right? I'm not writing the fiction from scratch. Often, some other creative person, a musician, a playwright, an architect, someone has an idea. And they are presenting that idea to me. And it's my job to illuminate that idea. And so... I'll often try and figure out what is guiding their storytelling experience. Why, why is, you know, why is it, ch- why are the chapters appear in this order? Why are we waiting until this thing happens? Why are we waiting to find out about this until the end? Why, or the middle or, you know, um, musically, you know, uh, there's a lot of music theory, right? We can we can talk about a one, four, five pop song and why that exists and why that works and and why that has been brainwashed on us for well over 50 years. Uh-huh. But um so like, so like, you know, why'd we go to the bridge? Right? Why'd we hit the five? Right. And um and you know, and then if you look at like the sort of the classic formulas of the Beatles, and we look at, you know. Uh, Other bands now that are that are, you know, playing with that and meshing with that and, you know, you know, saying, "No, no, no, we don't have we don't have to do a bridge at all. We can, you know, you know, and so knowing that formula or knowing the classic story, what is this new story and why are we why are we telling it and and what should it look like? And, you know, does that include color or does that, you know, does it include light at all? right i mean is this is this a dark moment is this you know what does it mean to be in darkness to contemplate to, to to not see something in front of you and dynamically i think that's important not that every show has a blackout but you know it probably should you know like like on some level i think and maybe that's pre-show you know or or maybe that's that maybe that's post you know uh-huh. but th- but there's I always wanna stretch, particularly in, in rock and roll, uh, I wanna stretch the dynamic range as far as possible. The story I think is in those dynamics, right? When it's loud, when it's quiet, when it's bright, when it's dark. And I can only get as bright as my brightest moment, which uh-huh. may also be the loudest moment of the show. It might not. Um, and when can I get the darkest? And what do those two moments look like? And the farther apart those two things can get, the the more possibility there is in the middle.
0: Wow, that that's very inspiring. It's it's like you're a constant. It's like you're constantly asking, "Why should I be doing this?"
1: Yeah, I mean, that, I mean, that's uh, yeah, I mean, in all things in life, at some point, got to turn the brain off. But like, you know, I, I, that's what makes us human on some level, right? Like, why do we do the things we do? You know, there, you know, and we get into the, the philosophy of like, you know, free will versus determinism or, you know, do, are we really making these choices or, yeah, you know, and know. Um, you know, but without, you know, keeping all this, <laughs> so the, the philosophies of the side, like, uh, yeah, why? Like, why are we here? Why'd we go to see the show? And the good news is like in theater, you know, they want to be there, right? Yeah. Like, and like in rock and roll, like y- you couldn't get a more pleasing crowd if you tried. They want to be there so much, they paid. Right, yeah. they, they, they paid months in advance to make sure they got a ticket to be there. So you have this eager audience that just is looking to have a good time. And one of the reasons I like, frankly, working with The Roots is, is we, that show is about providing a good time. I think, you know, yeah. they, they have, uh, you know, members of the band have a public presence that, that make uh, commentary on politics and, and, and those kinds of things. Yep. And there's some of that in the show. Right, in, in some, of, uh, some of Tariq's raps, there's definitely, um, you know, he, he speaks to some of those things, but, but I think the bigger picture is like, we're there to entertain and we're there to, to like, especially like I think in the last four years as politics shifted, uh, you know, it, it's, it is a, it's a feel good time. Like we'll, we'll remind you of like why things are important and why things matter, but, but yeah, no, let's, let's dance. Right. Like it's in that groove, in that rhythm, in that music, like let's let's forget about, let's say in, even this moment now. Right. Let's ignore this pandemic if we can, possible for 10 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever that is, and enjoy a moment of, of positivity. And, and, and I find that personally, it's like music and like and dancing and just like and just shaking the body out and letting life, you know, that flow of, of life.
0: Yeah, I and mean, sadly, I think we're missing a lot of that right now. The the go and breathe each other's air and dance and and to be able to sit there like, yeah, everything sucks. Let's dance. Yeah, Let's.
1: <laughs> yeah No, look, these are these are these are trying times to say the they, least, for right? sure. Um, you know, uh, for many reasons, and um, I think it it is important to be hopeful. These the, the, this too shall pass. Right. Absolutely. We, people want to be entertained. We will dance again. We will perform like like it will come back i my my i I have hopes that it comes back sooner than later i have fears that it comes back later than sooner um but all we can do is is you know day by day to make it through as best we can and um you know, so when in New York, you know the uh, when I got back, I came back to New York mid-August, and New York had a much better vibe than when I left. Like it, it was, you know, I left uh, early June. It was really, um, it, it was rough. It was sad. Like, like the energy of New York, all the things we love about New York, is shut down. Like we can't, for the most part. I mean, there's still you know there's still a park and things to enjoy, but yeah. But it was it was difficult. And coming back, um, you know, the city had figured out outdoor dining, for instance. And while the restaurants still aren't making a profit by doing outdoor dining, uh, it's still bringing some sense of normalcy, some sense of energy to the street. You know, street life feels good again, right? There's a positive energy. I go to walk my dog in the neighborhood and, and there's a positive vibe, you know, like, like we did it. We made it through the worst of it. And, and it was bad. I mean, I know people who passed away. Like it was bad. But, it was. but it's better now and And if you know if we all wear a mask and we do smart things we can we can hopefully keep this at bay and yeah. um, i was I was so, okay the reason I bring this up I was sad that that music was not allowed to be a part of outdoor dining, and I was really surprised you know i I get the idea of not wanting to congregate, trying to keep crowds small, but mm. you know you can't have like one guy with a guitar while, you know, making, making a buck while people are enjoying, like, like, I just feel like there, there should be a way, you know, for, for musicians, professional or amateur, whatever, like, that, like there should be a way that we can still enjoy music in the public square. Yeah. And, and that's not happening, which I think is, is sad.
0: Despite all of our shortfalls, we're a very clever species, and we should be able to figure that out uh, sooner than later, I would imagine.
1: Yeah. Um, and now, look, it's going to get cold again here in New York, and so, you know, I think it will be dark before it gets bright again, and we need you guys to wait, sit tight, and, and hopefully, you know, hopefully next spring, we'll be in a better situation.
0: Cool. I think, there's, I think that's the best way to leave us. Uh, that was a great conversation. Thank you so much. I really look forward to doing this at outdoor dining with some drinks in New York City. Yes. Uh, as opposed to over
1: Zoom. <laughs> that would be great. Thank you. I, I appreciate the time.